Like a bright and perky this morning. Everybody doing okay? What's that, sir? Oh, yeah, I'm going to sing. That's one way to clear the room for me to sing. <laughs> well, obviously, I'm not Pastor Craig. Huh? Yeah, say we got praise and worship over here. <laughs> obviously, I'm not Pastor Craig. My name is John Spencer, for those that don't know me. Uh, uh, at least once a year, we have to send Pastor Craig away to charm school. It gets a little rough around the edges, and it was it was getting a little unbearable, so we, we shipped him off. <laughs> well, obviously, we, too, we don't have any uh, music to start with today. So let's just all stand, and let's just enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise, just like, just like the Word says we do. Father God, Father, we do enter your gates with thanksgiving, enter your courts with praise. Father, you're worthy to be worshipped. You're worthy to be praised. You're worthy to be exalted and lifted up. Father, it is in you that we live, we move, we have our being. You said, Father, that in Christ dwelt the fullness of the Godhead body and that we are complete in Him who is the head of all principality and power. So we just lift you up. We lift up holy hands, Father, to you and just adoration and worship to thank you for all that you've done in our lives for all the things that you are doing in our lives, for all the things, Father, all the goals, the hopes, the dreams, everything, Father, that we desire for our life, Father, you have given to us, for we have been redeemed. We've been redeemed by the blood and by the word of our testimony. So, Father, we, your word is true. You're not a man that you should lie, nor the son of man that you would repent. What you said you would do, you do. And Father, we just take heart and know and trust in Your Word. We just desire and cover Your love, Your precious grace, and Your mercy for our lives. You said Your mercy is renewed afresh each and every morning. Well, Father, it's still morning, and it, that mercy is refreshed anew. So, Father, have mercy upon our lives. Teach us, guide us with a greater one that lives on the inside of us. Father, bring to our remembrance Your Word. Give us the strength, Your abilities, Your grace to walk in that Word to live that Word, to breathe that Word, and, Father, to make it just an absolute habitual uh, way of life for us. We worship You. We thank You this day. We give You all the praise, all the glory, all the honor. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> um, if you have your Bibles, you can... Leaf over to uh, Jeremiah chapter 29. We'll start, we'll probably start there. Uh, but just as a, a man of introduction, um, it's been a few months since, since I spoke. Uh, but the last time I, I spoke, I, I started um, a, a uh, presentation on habits. Okay, and I wanted to continue that today, talking about habits. And I'm talking about habits that mature Christians would follow or should follow. Uh, or you could say habits of effective Christians or habits of successful Christians living successful lives. Um, as, as a matter of a little bit of review, I want to briefly go over maybe a few of the things that I talked about last time. Uh, one, I mentioned a, a book that was published some years ago. Uh, by Stephen Covey. It was called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Some of you may have read that book. I know that I did, I, and I took some courses in. I know some of the habits that were adopted there were quite effective for me, at least in my work, as well as being a Christian because Stephen Covey himself is a Christian. Although it was a secular book, it was patterned after Christian principles, if you will. And uh, just as a quick review, habit one for him was the being proactive. And this was the principle of personal choice. You know, we all have a personal choices. God gave us personal choices. We can choose to do the right thing. We can choose to do the wrong thing. And to the extent we have knowledge of the Bible, of his word, and to the extent we put that word to use or in practice in our life, will be the extent of benefit we get from it or the extent of failure that we have by not doing it. Habit two was begin with the end in mind. This was the principles of personal vision. 
Every one of us should have a vision for our lives because we've all been given a purpose to fulfill in this life. Habit three was put first things first. What matters most? This was principles of integrity, of our priorities in our life. Habit number four was think win-win, principles of mutual benefit. Uh, you know, we're to think of others uh, more so than ourselves a lot of times. And we, want other, we want other people to be successful. We just can't think of ourselves. It's not all win-lose. It's got to, it needs to be a win-win in a, in a, Christmas, in a Christian atmosphere. Uh, habit five was seek first to understand, then to be understood. Uh, these are principles of mutual understanding. And, and when you apply these principles... How many, just think about it, you and uh, uh, maybe your relatives, uh, your neighbors, friends that you have, how many times, especially when maybe you're in a disagreement with them, where they're trying to maybe debate with you or argue with you, and they come across with their opinions and their, and their reasonings for why they take the position they do, and what are you doing? Are you listening to them, or are you in your mind trying to develop a rebuttal to what they're saying. It is so important to understand what people are telling you before you're able to respond, especially in a Christian sense, because people that are maybe not born again or maybe are not mature Christians or not well-versed in the Bible, you know, you'll know by what they say. And when you understand clearly what they say, then you're more apt to draw out the word to counteract, because you're not arguing with them. They would be arguing with the word then. So seek first to understand and then to be understood. In what, so that was a habit number, I believe it was five. Habit number six was synergize. These are principles of creative cooperation. Now, synergy is, most of you probably understand the term, but the best example I can give, if, if I try to pick up a, a pencil with my just my little finger only, well, it's, it's, I probably could probably do it, but it may be somewhat difficult. But if I use all my whole hand, it's very easy, a synergy. We're using several individual things coming together in unity in order to accomplish a task or a specific objective. Habit number seven was sharpen the saw. These are principles of continual development. And, that, and, you know, that, and really that applies to our Christian world as well. We need to be in the Word every day. Listening to CDs, reading Christian books, meditating on the Word. So we need to develop ourselves. You know, once It's just like uh, an athlete. Uh, they could be at the top of their game, but if they take a few weeks off on vacation and they decide to be a little bit lazy about it, they can start atro- you know, to atrophy and to get out of being in top shape, and all of a sudden they are not able to perform as well as before. Same thing in our Christian walk. If we don't stay in the Word, if we don't keep that intimate relationship with our Father, then our, our tendency is to be unrestrained and we tend to have a failures in our life. We tend not to do as well in what we do. Um, now, if I, would, <clears throat> if I would ask each of you to respond to me and, and tell me, what are your goals for life? What is it you see for yourself that you really want to accomplish, that you want to attain? What are your dreams? If I went around the word, room, I would probably get, if there's 30 people here, I'll get 30 different answers or maybe some very similar. From a Christian perspective, certainly one of my goals is to become a mature Christian. See, we never stop growing. But the more mature we become, the more likely we are to walk in the purpose that God has given us. The The more mature we grow, the more likely we are going to be, just like Paul said, I've run my race, I've finished my course, and now there lays a reward in heaven for me. That's what I want to hear. One of my goals is to finish and complete my course. That should be a goal of every Christian. The question is how we get there. How do you get to that course? How do you identify the purpose in your life and to walk in it? Not just a little bit, but constantly on a consistent basis. And I guess that's why I want to talk to you about habits. Just like athletes. I know, um, you know I, I've talked about bodybuilders before. I happen to know a bodybuilder that was, did quite well at it, and st- I think still does. But think of the habits that they would have to establish in order to achieve that goal. 
First, they had to make a choice. This is what I want to do. And they had to take certain, they had to take action to get that done. And so when they, they did, they had to discipline themselves to do certain things in order to attain that level of competition in bodybuilding. For instance, their diet, what they ate. <laughs> Tremendous discipline in what they had to eat. To go to the gym five, six hours a day, lifting this heavy weights or light weights, and how many, to do so many repetitions. I mean, this is, this is a total dedication. And so, and it's not just, you, you just can't go to the gym one time, lift a few weights, and say, ah, I'm going to go get in the competition. Okay, you can see I'm, I'm about ready. I'm about ready for the competition. Woo, that was good. That's not as bad as one of the, one of the people in the staff just told me before I came in. Hey, John, you look pregnant. And I said, Oh, baby. <laughs> so, but I'm motivated now. I'm motivated. I'm going to work on my glycemic index. So anyway, it takes a tremendous amount of discipline if you're an athlete. Same way for a golfer. You literally have to, you know, you'd make a decision. You literally have to hit thousands of golf balls on a daily basis. You have to practice out of sand traps. You have to practice out of tall grass. There's a lot of things you do, but to get on top and to play like the professionals do, it's a real commitment. And so there's habits they have to get into that is done not once or twice, but on a consistent basis. Uh, Michael Phelps. Everybody here Michael Phelps, the swimmer? Okay, everybody's probably heard of Michael Phelps. Think of the number of hours. They, there was someone, uh, I, I heard him say one time he, he took in seven to 8,000 calories a day when he's in training. Whew. Well, that's a lot of calories. So just think of the energy expense. Oh, just an just a, uh, interesting footnote. Although I don't know Michael Phelps. I've never, never met him. But I do know his parents very well. My wife and I knew them in college. We went to college with them. Um, uh, Debbie and Fred are divorced now. But... Um, uh, I played football with Fred. Fred was in my wedding, in our wedding, and, and I was in, in Fred's wedding when, when we were in college. So um, Fred was a crazy guy. He was an uh, interesting individual. <clears throat> uh, he, we called him 58. He had, uh, you think of the fawns, his hair, okay? That's why we called him, we called him 58. I remember, I remember one time we were in the student union with Fred, and Fred was crazy. He was, he was just an interesting guy, and... and um, uh, there was a biology major in there. He had a jar with a little garter snake in it. And there was a guy messing around with Fred. And he said, Fred, I'll give you $20 to eat that snake. <laughs> Fred just smiled. He says, well, show me your 20 And so this guy brought a $20 bill out and laid on the table. Fred took the jar, undid it, the snake out. It was wiggling around. He grabbed it. He bit its head off. He flipped it up like a piece of popcorn, swallowed it. The student union emptied. <laughs> totally emptied. That's a true story. That's a true story. Now that I got your attention. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I want to talk to you about habits. A habit defined is an acquired behavior pattern regularly followed until it has become almost involuntary. It becomes a part of you. You just do it naturally. You don't really think about it anymore. You just do it. Now there could be some good habits and there's maybe some bad habits. Uh, for instance, I... I had a bad habit uh, and still, still catch myself doing was like I used to chew the inside of my lip a lot. It was almost constant. And I've pretty much broken that habit, but every once in a while I find myself doing that. But, uh, so there's also some habits we do that we want to get rid of. And only through the Word can we do that. Now, all these habits I'm talking about are based upon the principles. Godly principles. Principles that that are found in the Word of God. Now, if you look up the... Now, now the definition of the word principle that, we're, that we want to use for this teaching is this. It's a fundamental, it's a primary, or it's a general law or truth from which others are derived, such as like the principles of sowing and reaping. Okay? Now, last time I also gave you a handout, and some of you may have been here, some of you may not have been. Um, would you, um, would, would you help pass some of these out there? Kathy, would you help pass some of these out? 
If I can just put it down on top, appreciate it. Uh, this was a uh, quote uh, made by Stephen Coveney, which certainly has a lot of meaning to me. And it is, it is, it's, the quote is, is short, but it is so packed with meaning. If you look at it, it says, Sow a thought, we reap an action. Sow an action, you'll reap a habit, which is what we're talking about today. Sow a habit and reap character. Sow a character and reap a destiny. So we talked about our dreams. We talked about our vision and the purpose for our lives. And really, this is a biblical way to get there. And again, our visions don't get fulfilled in a day. It doesn't get fulfilled in a month. It doesn't get fulfilled in a year. But as we grow mature in God more and more he steps us into the light where we can recognize where the talents and the abilities that he has given us as well as the grace, his abilities, his provision, his power working our life can have impact on others. And that's where we all want to get to. And you're never too old to get there. There's so many people that all of a sudden uh, who have been walking with God all their lives and seemingly... Uh, I mean, they're, they're in sort of an obscurity. You, you, you don't know who they are. Uh, they might be a wonderful person, but maybe they haven't done anything. All of a sudden, they start doing something small, and all of a sudden, it expands and grows, and it impacts literally thousands of people. But you're never too old. God can redeem your time. You know, a lot of us... Um, as we walk our Christian walk, you know, there's ups and downs and, and we walk through some of the valleys and, and sometimes the highs. But as God is always there teaching us, showing us from the, the, even the problems we walk through, the circumstances we walk through. He doesn't cause the circumstances that come into our life to hurt us. And keep this in mind. It is not the things that come against you in life that hurt you. It is our response to those things that come at us that hurts us. Said he said he'd never leave us forsake us. He said that many are the tribulations of the saints, but he would see us through them all. He knew because we live in a falling world. Okay? We're in this world, but we're not of this world. And he knows that because of this fallen world, that the enemy is setting up circumstances in our life to try to steal the word and to try to hurt us. That's what circumstances are for, to steal the word from you. To get your eyes off of what God says and onto the circumstances. That's what it's all about. Um, so, sow a thought, reap an action. Uh, over in Jeremiah, it says this. Jeremiah 29, I believe I told you to go to. Verse 11. It says, For I know... The thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. You know God has thoughts toward us? And he says, I put before you a choice. Life, death, blessing, cursing. And then he gives us the right answer. Check A. Life and blessings. That's what he wants for us. He has thoughts for our life. And that is the same way that we now walk in this world. Everything that we do starts with a thought. Every action that we take that pre- was preceded by a thought. Most of the time, that was over a long period of time that those thoughts developed. And you've heard Pastor John use the example. A guy just doesn't go out and do adultery one day because he decides, hey, I'm going to go out and cheat on my wife. There was a lot of thought, a lot of forethought, a lot of thinking, bad thinking, but certainly that... that over a period of time, grew and grew until it manifested itself in the actual event. So our actions, many times, are a result of a long period of thought 
a long period of nurture where we watered those thoughts. We dwelled on those thoughts. And just like a plant in the garden, if you take care of it, it grows and you harvest it. The same thing is with our thoughts. And those thoughts can be harvested good and it can be harvested in the bad. It can be harvested in life. It can be harvested in death. It can be harvested in blessing. It can be harvested in cursing. So he has thoughts toward us. So we have thoughts. Now, we said we started with the mind. Go over to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Well, we, we lose our scripture guy. Romans 12. That's all right, Kevin. Sorry. It's okay. Romans chapter 12, starting with verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world. Do not think the way this world thinks. Don't act the way this world acts. Don't justify bad behavior the way the world justifies bad behavior. That's a, that's a John Spencer paraphrase. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, perfect will of God. So here in Romans 12 we find out that in order to find out what God's perfect will is for your life, in order to receive life, in order to receive the blessing, that there is a renewing of the mind, your thought life. And that's where it all starts. Look at 3, 3 John chapter 1. 3 John chapter 1. Third John chapter 1 it says this, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. Now, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. Now, your soul is made up of your mind, your will, and your emotions. So he is praying that you will prosper financially, mentally, in every way, and be in health, and that means physically, even as your soul prospers. In other words, it's going to be dependent upon how your soul prospers. So that tells me that my thinking is going to have a lot to do with how well I prosper, not only physically, okay, but financially, relationships, and every other thing, this is in my life that I desire to be perfect. It starts with my mind. Jump over to James chapter 1. <clears throat> Look at verse 21. It says this, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Look at that. Which is able to save your souls. You mean your soul's not saved? Ah, no, your soul's not saved. You have a brand new recreated spirit because so you're made up of, you are a spirit man. You live in a physical body and you possess a soul. So this whole process of having God's Word put in us is the process of sanctification. It's a process of saving your soul by the renewing of your mind. So we resist being conformed to this world that we live in and our responsibility is to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. How do you renew your mind? It's through the Word. That's how you renew your mind. Everything from the spirit realm, all the things that we've been redeemed from, sickness, disease, mental anguish, poverty. Everything that we've been redeemed from is in the spirit realm in our life. On the other side is this physical realm that we live in. This is our body. Maybe sick, maybe healthy, maybe somewhere in between. As well as relationships, finances, everything else. And right here in the middle is a thing called the soul. 
in order for us to reap the benefits of our redemption here in the physical realm, to get it out of the spiritual realm, it has to, without doubt, pass through the soulish realm, our mind. Okay? The mind is the starting place. That is why it's so important to be intimate with God. It is so important to know what the Word says. Because unless we can renew our minds to the extent where that becomes a part of us in our heart, it becomes a habit, it becomes a, a thing that we, that's involuntary, that we just do naturally. Until such, and then when you start doing that, you start reaping God's character. You start showing the fruits of His character, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, temperance, meekness, faith. It starts producing fruit in our life. And we start harvesting that fruit. And all of a sudden, we see the spiritual realm jumping over through the soul, and we see it manifesting in the physical realm. But unless it passes through that soul, you're not going to see the benefits. So when we choose to ignore God's Word, when we choose to watch a little bit more TV than we ought to, when we choose to, she was I'm too tired, I think I'll do something, you know, I think I'll just sleep or do something else. Instead of spending time in the Word, instead of making Him our priority, then all of a sudden we don't reap the benefits anymore. And we, and we, we, we reach out, we don't understand why. Look at uh, Philippians chapter uh, 4. Philippians chapter 4. Verse 8. It says this, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Now here... Uh, what the writer is telling us is, hey, listen, in order to reap spiritual things, here's the thing you should be thinking about, meditating on, dwelling upon. Now, the verses just prior to that in 6 and 7 says this, it says, be careful for nothing. Don't have any fears, don't have any worries, don't have any anxieties, but in all things, through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and His peace, which passes understanding will keep your heart and mind at rest through Christ Jesus. And then it goes into, therefore, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are of a good report, think and dwell on these things. Okay? Don't worry about the fears, cares, and worries because Peter says, casting all your care upon him for he cares for us. In order for the peace to come into our life, in order for those things in the spirit to pass through our soulish realm and get to our physical man in our physical environment where we can live them, where we can experience them in everyday life, in order to get there, we have to choose not to worry, fear, or have anxiety. And guess what? Your circumstances are all geared to do that. This life is all geared at doing that because when you do, you get off what the Word says. You get your eyes on the circumstances, just like Peter walking on the water. He came out walking on the water. He was looking at Jesus, the author and the finisher of his faith. And then all of a sudden... He saw the winds and the waves, and he started to think. Got his eyes on the circumstances. Started to fear, started to worry, started to have anxiety. And guess what? Over in Mark 4, it says, immediately the enemy comes in to steal the word. Each and every time, you start throwing that word in your heart. You start thinking about the word. You start praying the word. You start reading the word. Every time you start to take action on what the word tells you to do, guess what's going to happen? The enemy is going to come in to try to steal that word from you so that it will not be able, the spirit realm will not be able to pass through your soulish realm and exist where we can live successful Christian lives. Just the way it is. That's why it's so important for us to establish habits. Look at uh, Joshua 1.8. Most of you probably can quote this one. 
This has to do with thoughts, though. Joshua 1.8. It says, This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you will de- meditate. Everyone says meditate. meditate. Therein, day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that's written therein and what's going to happen after that. And then you'll make your way successful. And I say prosperous first. And then you'll make your way you make it good, you'll have good success. So Joshua is telling us to meditate in the Word. What, what do you do when you meditate? You're thinking about it. You're planting the Word into your mind and you're dwelling upon it. You're speaking it out. You're, you're determining the, the content and the meaning of the words and how it applies to you specifically. So, and... And why do you do that? Because he wants you to do everything that's written there. So when we read the Word and it tells us that we need to do this, this is the proper way to do it in order for you to have success and be prosperous, to do it. Now, in order for that to happen on a consistent basis, it needs to become a part of your belief system. It has to be a natural part of you. That's why it needs to be a habit. It needs to be a part of your DNA. You know, the word belief in the Bible for uh, an English-speaking person like that, it comes from an Anglo-Saxon, actually two Anglo-Saxon words, um, believe. The first word, be, is to live or to exist. And um, the second uh, word is lifean, L-I-F-A-N-E, I believe, which means to act in accordance with. So the word believe is an action word. In other words, it means to live in accordance with. So if you're a believer, then our job is to act in accordance with what the Word says. Now, most of us as in the Western culture, when we say, oh, I believe that, okay, that's easy. We can mentally assent to believe something. I can read that Word all day long, and I can say, I believe this. I'm a Christian. I believe this. But if I don't act upon it, you're just mentally agreeing with it. You're not, you don't actually believe it because you don't follow it up with subsequent actions where you're actually doing it. See where habits come in? Why it's so important to make it a part, an integral part of your life? Now, look at... Um, where do I want to go from here? Look at... Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We'll start with uh, verse 4. Familiar scripture as well. <clears throat> it says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal or natural, but it's mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself above the knowledge of God, bringing into captivity every thought, everybody, every thought, every thought. to the obedience of Christ. So, here we've got Joshua 1a telling us to meditate therein day and night so we can observe to do. And here in 2 Corinthians it says, for the weapons of warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the point down of strongholds, which again it goes into talking about our thought life. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself above the knowledge of God. In the circumstances that we walk in, many times the thoughts that we think are totally opposite or contrary to what God's Word says. They try, the thoughts are attempting to reason us into doing or being conformed to what the world says to do. That's its purpose, and again, to steal the Word. So here, our responsibility as a Christian is to cast down all the imaginations, all the thoughts, all the suggestions, all the ideas that come our way which are contrary to what the Word says. Now, in order to do that, you have to know what the Word says. You have to be able to compare the two. Ah, the Word says this. Here's what's happening in my life. I choose life. <laughs> I choose blessing. So I choose to reject what this thought is telling me. But I have to have a foundation, a basis for it. 
sell. To cast down every thought and imagination that comes against the Word of God, believe me, that needs to be a habit. Because most of us are used to, when a thought comes to our mind, is to dwell on it for a while. Kick it around, kick the tire. Okay? Before we make a decision on what we do with it. But believe me, those things which are negative, those things which are contrary to what the Word says, uh, that try to conform us to this world, will eventually hurt us. Possibly kill us. Different type of habit. As I said, you can have a good habit, bad habit. Um, you know, habit, it can be, you know, you go up, you run across the street and, and you see cars coming. And so we're taught to look both ways, right? Okay. Now in America, most of the time, people just look left. <laughs> I've done that before. Where I, you know, I look left because that's a line of traffic. If you're in the United Kingdom, <laughs> you might look left and step out in the street and you're dead. Bad habits can kill you because they're driving the wrong side of the road. <laughs> anyway but that's what bad thinking bad thinking can literally kill you the wages of sin are death sometimes that death can be manifested in bad health sometimes those habits can be manifested in um and uh, not enough money, not enough finances, financial struggles, marriage problems. But our whole, our, whole, our whole goal and desire is to manifest God's Word into our life where we can walk and walk in the redemption that was paid for us with the precious blood of Jesus. Um, look at uh, Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, we'll read verse 45. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. You know, you can locate people where they are in their lives. And that's why people that are not in the Word a whole lot and have reasoned and been conformed to uh, you know, the world system, you, you can pretty much, if you're a mature Christian, you can tell. I know that uh, over the last few years, I've started to do you know, more sitting down with people with, with problems and issues, you know, marriage problems, children problems, uh, other issues in their life in, in a counseling setting. And my first thing that I do, I, I'm not a trained counselor, I'm not a counselor, but I'll, I will never give my own opinion on anything. It's always returned by the Word. But what I do first is I listen. I ask them specific questions and I listen to what they, what they say to me. I listen to their feedback. And I try to probe more into what they're really trying to get at, what they want, what they desire, what their dreams are. And through the things that they say, over time, you can pick up. You can see where their reasonings are flawed, where they have not replaced that thinking with what the Word says about their life. And then the conversation is pretty much then based upon the principles of God, the godly principles that will help them walk through this turmoil and problems they're walking through and help them get to the place where they can harvest the blessing in the life, which is where we all want to go. But listen to people sometimes. As you grow in the Lord, as you're walking, listen to what other people are telling you and talking about. And then compare it to what you have in your heart about the word, what the Word says and see how it lines up. You can tell people where they're at. Okay? Look at Second Corinthians chapter three. Jesus, I don't know if I'm going to get to point one yet. 
That's not a bad introduction, is it? I guess I told you I'd be brief too, didn't I? Second Corinthians chapter three, uh, starting with verse seventeen, it says, "Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty." But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as a mirror in the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So we, what the, what the Word just told us is that we are being transformed from glory to glory into His image. And see, that's what happens whenever you're intimate with God, whenever you are seeking Him and you're, and you're, and you're meditating on the Word and getting it into your mind, and letting it flood your heart, over a period of time with consistent, habitual practice, with habitual doing of what the Word tells you to do, you see yourself being transformed. It might be, you know, something very small. In fact, it might even not be noticed by some people. But from glory to glory, inch by inch, step by step, and over a period of months, maybe it's a year or two, all of a sudden you're able to distinguish greatly where you were and where you are now. You can see the progress. You can see the success. All of a sudden you start sensing and feeling um, life. You start sensing and feeling blessing. And it's just a habitual, you just keep on doing it. Keep on doing it. And you live a life of victory in that particular area that you're struggling with. Okay? Now, let's jump over to the first, fa- for the first um, habit that I want to talk to you about. First habit is this. They diligently, everyone say diligently, diligently. spend time Quality and quantity with the Father daily. This has got to be our first priority. Now, this is an area, and I talked a little bit about this the last time. You may or may not remember, but I want to talk to you a little bit about time. Because if I went around the room, again, every one of you would probably tell me about how busy you are and all the things that you got going on in your life. And that's true. I'm the same way. I can raise my hand there, too. We all got things to do. Most of us have jobs to do. Most of us have family to deal with. Sometimes they're young. Sometimes they're older. Uh, we have obligations. We have commitments. And so what we're, what we're based on, we have 24 hours in a day, seven days a week to deal with. And a lot of people talk about managing your time so that you can spend some more time with God. Well, I'll tell you right now, you cannot manage your time. Everyone's got the same amount of time. But one thing you can do is manage events in your life. Events. Major difference between managing time and managing events. Now I'll try to go through this quickly, but this is somewhat important because a, a lot of people don't spend enough time with God because of all these other things that they do and get involved with, important and unimportant. There's basically four categories you can break your time down into. The first one is these are important things I need to do, and they're also urgent. Okay? Important, and they're urgent. Now, an example of that might be an illness in your family. Maybe a severe illness. Uh, I'll give you a personal example. Uh, about three years ago, uh, my mother died. And at that time, uh, my wife and I had a nice vacation to Hawaii schedule. Okay? Well, all of a sudden, my mother um, got ill and got bad. Now, it was no decision. It was very easy to cancel that vacation. That was not, that's not the issue. But there's things, urgencies, and important things that come up in your life you have to deal with. Now, I'll tell you this. Important things as well as urgent things are fairly rare. It's a low percentage. Okay? But those are the things you have to react to. Those are the things you have to do in this life. Okay? It's important. And sometimes it's urgent. Second category I talked about is these are not important things, but they're considered urgent okay, by other people. Get that? They're, they're not important at all to you, but they're urgent to other people. This could be last-minute requests or interruptions. This is especially on the job. 
Okay, it happens because you, you have your day planned out and all of a sudden phone calls and interruptions. And, oh, by the way, we, the boss says we got to do this and so we drop our whole day and do something different. Okay? So, and you have to react to those. Third category, not important, not urgent. Not important and they're not urgent. But it's things we tend to do in our lives, excess TV. Wasteful time wasters. Excess TV. <laughs> I feel sort of guilty when I say that. Sometimes, I, you know, I'm, I'm watching Law and Order. And it's actually the fourth time I've watched the rerun. <laughs> My wife thinks that's excessive. I don't know. I've been, I've been trying to think about that. <laughs> So anyway, there's a you know, if, and if we think about our lives, there's probably a lot of things we can think of where two is it's not very important and it's certainly not urgent, but I'm just sort of being lazy and and just sort of chilling, you know. But there's a lot of that time. If you if you would sort of track it in your life, you'd find you have a lot of time. And that last one is, and this is to me the category we need to spend most of our time in is this: it says important and not urgent. This is sort of a leadership category. This is where we can spend time with God. This is where we can exercise, take care of our physical body. This is where we can read and listen to CDs and develop ourselves. Okay? And there's a lot more time in that category than you think. Now, some of the, like I said, some of the urgent things you can't prevent, and you're going to have to spend some time on it. But there's a lot of things in our life we can say no to. It's called priorities. And because something is urgent doesn't mean it's a priority. It just means it's going to take some of our time whether we want to give it or not. Okay? So those are the four categories. And, and our job is to get into that important, not urgent category where we really have time to spend with God. Over in Hosea, and I want to walk through a few of these. In Hosea 4, verse 6, and you've heard this, and this is something you're probably very familiar My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. So by not spending the quality and quantity of time with God, ends up in our lack of knowledge and our inability to act upon that knowledge. And what's it say? My people are destroyed because you have rejected knowledge. You've chosen not to spend time with me and get intimate with me. You've chosen death and cursing versus life and blessing. I will reject you from being priest for me because you have forgotten the law of your God. I will forget your children. That's not because he wants to. He has no basis to work from in your life. Over in Isaiah 5, 13 says this, Therefore my people have gone into captivity because they have no knowledge. Their honorable men are famished and their multitude dried up with thirst. They're going into captivity. How many of us have walked through the captivity of financial bondage? Can't make my payments this month. How many have walked into captivity relationships because, gee, my marriage is on the rocks and we just can't seem to get it together right now? How many have gone into captivity with issues of children who have sort of gone astray, getting into things they shouldn't be getting into? What am I going to do? And we can go on and on. We can, we can, we can mention a lot of things that occur in our life. But if we approach it the godly way, if I had the knowledge and I acted upon that knowledge, if I got that word in my heart, if I, and if I habitually did these things, the Bible said he would see us through all these problems. Many of the tribulations of the saints, he will see it through them. How many? All. Okay. <clears throat> Look at Matthew chapter 6. starting with verse 31. I want to read from the Amplified Version on this one. It says, Therefore do not worry and be anxious, saying, What are we going to have to eat? Or what are we going to have to drink? Or what are we going to have to wear? For the Gentiles, heathen, wish for and crave and diligently seek all these things. And your Heavenly Father knows well that you need them all. It goes on to say, But seek aim at and strive for first 
all of his kingdom and his righteousness and his way of doing things and being right. And then all of these things taken together will be given to you besides. So don't worry. For, be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will have worries and anxieties of its own. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So here we're saying, he's, he is saying, seek him first and his righteousness and all these things over here in the spirit realm is going to be able to manifest over here in the physical realm because you're seeking him first and you're allowing that spiritual realm to pass through your soulish realm. You're giving it the opportunity. You're doing the word, not just a hearer only. Make sense? So we need to seek him first. Look at Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs 4, verse 20. I think every time I teach in here, I use this scripture. It says, My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Don't let them depart from your eyes, but keep them in the midst of your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. He goes on to say, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. So in order to have life, in order to have health for our flesh, we need to find them. What's them? The Word. We need to plant them in our heart. If you look at the definition of find, it says to locate, to attain, or obtain by search or effort. Everyone say effort. A valuable and gratifying discovery to discover or confirm the truth. Win, achieve, acquire. So whenever we are in the Word, we're reading the Word, confessing the Word, meditating on the Word, what we're doing is we're locating them, we're searching, we're obtaining, we're finding, we're discovering those things so that what? We can win, we can achieve, we can acquire, we can make a part of us, an integral part of our belief system. And then that habit is just involuntary. It's natural. You do it and you don't even think about it. It's just a part of you. We're taking on his character, being transformed from glory to glory into his image. Can you see it? Look at Second Timothy chapter 2. Verse 15. And I'm going to read to you from the Amplified Bible on this one as well. It says, study. Everyone says study. And be eager to do your utmost to present yourself to God, approved, tested by trial, a workman who has no cause to be ashamed, correctly analyzing and accurately dividing, rightly handling and skillfully teaching the word of truth. So Second Timothy is saying study. How many think studies work? Work. Now, let me ask you this question. Do we study to earn brownie points with God? Are we trying to earn something from Him by studying? <laughs> no. The only reason we study is because He told us to, and He told us to so that He can give us life and He can give us blessing. Because that's the only way you know, we need to choose that. We need to choose to study to show ourselves approved in the God in order to receive those blessings, to bring it out of the spiritual realm through the soulish realm into where we're at today is where we need it to be. And one more scripture and we'll close for today and we'll start with maybe number two next time. Um, look at Hebrews chapter 4. Start with verse 10. verse 10 says for he who has once entered God's rest this is from the Amplified also also has ceased from the weariness and pain of human labors just as God rested from those labors peculiarly on his own 
verse 11, let us therefore be zealous and exert ourselves and strive diligently to enter that rest of God to know and experience it for ourselves that no one may fall or perish by the same kind of unbelief and disobedience into which those in the wilderness fell. Verse 12, for the word that God speaks is alive, full of power, making it active, operative, energizing, and effective. It is sharper than any two-edged sword penetrating to the dividing line of the breath of life or the soul and the immortal spirit and of the joints and marrow of the deepest parts of our nature, exposing and sifting and analyzing and judging the very thoughts and purposes of our heart. Here he's saying to labor to enter into his rest. It's talking about being zealous, exerting ourselves, diligently striving to enter his rest. And we see we're talking about the same thing. Entering his rest simply means that we've established that habit in our life. We've made it a part of us. And now it's just very natural for us to walk in that truth. Because when you're walking in that truth, you're going to reap the benefits from it. He doesn't want you to fall in the wilderness. He's telling you, get into my word. Learn of me. Know me. Be intimate with me. Spend your time with me. The amount of time you spend with me is the amount of, amount of blessing and, and, and life that will come to you in return. I really envy people who really dedicate their lives and spend a great portion of their time in the Word every day and put it into practice. And you can see the fruit in your life. I want that. I want that for me. And then life circumstances come along. And I'm just like you. When, I, when I'm talking about these things, you know, I have to walk through them too. And I want my circumstances. I want to spend my time in that realm too. But I fall. I make mistakes. But we can never stop diligently striving to get there. That's our goal. Because more than anything, I want to complete that purpose God has put in my life. That needs to be your goal too. Some of you don't know what it is. Some of you have an idea. But what's important is that the more you grow in his character, the more you're transformed from glory to glory into his image, the more and more light you'll have knowing the direction you're supposed to go in. It's automatic. It's a process. You don't become a professional athlete overnight. You don't become a mature Christian overnight. You don't walk in that ultimate calling for your life that God has put on you overnight. He trains you. And you know, he uses those circumstances, although he doesn't create the circumstances in your life, he uses those circumstances to get you trained. And remember, it's not those things that come against you in life that's going to hurt you. It's going to be our response to those things. So when those things are trying to kill you and tell you you're no good, you find what the Word says about you and you'll find out the exact opposite. And when you reject what that's, those circumstances, you choose, ah, I'm going to walk this way. I don't care what it looks like. And yet over in Galatians, you'll find out, don't go really well doing or you will reap if you faint not. That section of time in between the sowing of the Word and the reaping of the Word is, is a thing called time. That's why let patience have her perfect work that you may be complete an entire wanting nothing. Amen? Pray with me. Father God, in Jesus' name, I thank you for this day. Father, I, I choose to believe that the word from your precious Holy Spirit has entered the hearts of, of these believers, that they will walk away different, changed. And Father, they'll think about that intimacy with you. And even though they may spend a lot of time with you now, that they'll just grow even more hungry, more thirsty for your word, and for the things of you, that they may walk in their lives and experience you every day. We thank you, Father. We just bless your holy name. In Jesus' name, amen.